Today on The Matt Wall Show, it wasn't a noose, it turns out, as any intelligent person already knew. But still, the left, the media, Bubba Wallace himself, are trying to retain the narrative, even as it's exposed as fraudulent. Uh, they don't care. They're going to keep it going. So we're going to sort through all this today. And I want to sp pay special attention to the fact that the FBI sent 15 federal agents to investigate a rope in a garage. So we're going to talk about that. Also, five headlines, including uh, protesters, quote-unquote protesters, tearing down a statue of an abolitionist. Why? Why are they doing that? Well, I'll explain the real reason why all these statues are coming down, plus the daily cancellation and much more. All that coming up, coming up uh, on the show today. But we begin with uh, Rock Auto, our sponsor of the show today, one of our good friends over at Rock Auto. Uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's really... Uh, a lot easier, I think, going online than having to go to a store, just in general, but especially when it comes to auto parts, um, you know, because there, there's so many different options, what you could possibly need, that if you go into a store, they're going to be very limited. They're probably going to end up just buying the stuff online anyway. That's why, cut that, cut out that whole process. No need for any of that nonsense. Go to rockauto.com, always offering the lowest prices, the best uh, selection, everything that you need. They're not going to change the prices to try to gouge you or get as much as they can out of you. They're going to give you the lowest prices they possibly can. RockAuto.com is a family business, honest business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Whatever you need, um, I'm, I'm telling you, they've got it there. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique, remarkably easy to navigate, and you can quickly see all the parts available for your car or truck and make your decision. Make your choice, buy what you need, and get on with your day. Go to rockauto.com right now. That's rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car, truck, and make sure to write Walsh in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So that they know that, uh, that I sent you. Okay, shocker of shockers. Who besides me and anyone else with a brain could have possibly seen, seen this coming? Uh, who besides, besides those of us with IQs above that of a, of a soggy paper towel could have ever predicted this outcome. The noose in Bubba Wallace's garage was not a hate crime. Uh, it was just a rope, a rope to pull the door closed. That's it. Now, before we get into this, let's, let's reminisce just for a moment. Reminisce uh, about the old days, back in the good old days, back way, way back, two days ago, in fact, when NASCAR came out in an emotional show of support for Bubba Wallace and the other drivers escorted him around the track as he wept openly before Talladega. And then NASCAR put together this inspirational video. Let's just remember this video again. Watch this. All of that over a garage door. All of that because Bubba Wallace was afraid of his garage door. We are truly living in an idiocracy. I, it, it, now, here's the statement from NASCAR. Um, in this, this, remember, after they spent the previous day condemning this racist, vile act and rallying around Bubba and putting together inspirational videos with the, with the inspirational music in the background. And then they come out with this and they say, the FBI has completed its investigation at Talladega Super Speedway and determined that Bubba Wallace was not the target of a hate crime. The FBI report 
concludes and photographic evidence confirms that the garage door pull rope fashioned like a noose has been positioned there since as early as last fall. This was obviously well before the 43 teams arrived and, um, and we're given the garage assignments. We appreciate the FBI's quick and thorough investigation and are thankful to learn that this was not an intentional racist act against Bubba. We remain steadfast in our commitment to providing a welcoming and inclusive environment for all who love racing. But the left and the media, NASCAR, Bubba Wallace, all of them, they're not, they're not ready to let this go. They're not gonna, they're not gonna let this go so easily, okay? And they certainly won't admit that they were wrong. That's not gonna happen. And even more certainly, they're not gonna apologize. They will not apologize to those of us who were skeptical of this story and were right and were accused of racism because of our skepticism. No one's coming back around. No, I was, I was, I was called a racist many times over the last few days. Well, I'm, I'm always called that, just like every other ist and ism I'm called. But uh, especially the last few days, because I was immediately skeptical of this story, and I was told that's because you're a racist. I, I'm, I'm here. I'm available. If you want to come and apologize, uh, you want to send me a letter, send me an email. I am ready to accept your acts of contrition. If there are any takers. Surprisingly, there aren't. Wallace said earlier yesterday that skeptics were simple-minded. He insulted us, called us stupid. Do you think he's apologizing for saying that? Is he going to at least apologize for that? Is he at least going to say, hey, you know, uh, maybe it, it, it turns out you weren't very simple-minded. I mean, it, 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 it turns out you were actually on to something. In fact, you guys uh, who, who were not even there and didn't have all the information that I had, you were able to figure this out in 10 seconds. So, wow, not only are you not simple-minded, but compared to me, you're a genius. You guys are like, you should be private private eyes. You're, you're detectives. You were on the case. No, he's not going to say that. He just called us idiots and is going to leave it at that. And he's still making himself into the victim. Wallace went on CNN last night for, uh, well, I'm not going to call it an interview. It certainly was not an interview. Uh, it was more of a therapy session. Don Lemon, the alleged news anchor, didn't ask any prying questions or really any questions at all. Didn't try to get to the truth. Never does, of course. Instead, he just, he just complimented and soothed Bubba and told him how wonderful he is. In fact, uh, I, you know, I watched this. For some reason, I subjected myself to it because I'm a, I'm a masochist, I suppose. But really, Don Lemon did most of the talking. And he, he spent the whole time just telling Bubba, nobody blames you. This isn't your fault. You're a great guy. You know, we all understand where you're coming from. If... if the media was capable of embarrassment. They would be embarrassed by that sickening spectacle. Um, and Bubba agreed, by the way, of course. Bubba agreed that he's a wonderful guy and brave. And he said so many times in so many words. I uh, kept talking about how I'm, I'm, I'm still standing up. I'm not going to let this stop me. <laughs> it's a garage door opener. What do you mean you're still standing up and you're brave? I'm not going to be sure. They're not going to stop me. No garage door is going to stand in my way. Um, but here he is at the very beginning, because he's still making himself a victim. Here he is at the very beginning, beginning of this uh, faux interview, saying that uh, he's still the victim. You know, he's not the victim of a hate crime, but because there wasn't one. But now he's the victim of people who doubted the hate crime, even though the doubters were right. He's still the victim of them. Watch this. I'm uh, I'm pissed. I'm, I'm I'm mad because. People are trying to test my character and the person that I am and my integrity. And they're not stealing that away from me, but they're just trying to test that. And uh, as a person, Don, that 
doesn't need the fame, doesn't need the hype, doesn't need the media. I could care less. I could give two craps about that. Um, but to, to sit there and, and read, and that's my problem. I'm reading too much into it and, and investing too much media? time into it. I am. I am. Don't, I'm, don't, I'm, don't, don't. I know. Do I know. I know. I, uh, I'm, I'm trying hard not to. And, and after tonight, I'll probably turn my phone off. Uh, unfortunately, until about 7.30 in the morning where the interviews start back up again and we get to it all over. And then, and then so we have that. Uh, he's still a victim. Later on, he insists that it was a noose. He doubles down and claims that, you know, he's, it, it was still a noose. And he's never in his life, never in his life, has he seen a rope with a loop on it hanging in a garage. Watch. I've, uh, I've been racing all my life. I've, we've, we've raced out of hundreds of garages that uh, never had garage pools like that. So people that want to call it a garage pool and put out old videos and photos of, of, of knots being um, in, uh, in, in, in their, as their evidence. Go ahead. But from the evidence that we have, um, that I have, uh, it's a straight up noose. The FBI has stated it was a noose over and over again. NASCAR leadership has stated that it was a noose. I can confirm that I actually got evidence of what was hanging in my garage over my car around my picker guys to confirm that it was a noose and never seen anything like it. Never seen it. Never, ever. Couldn't, couldn't possibly imagine ever seeing something like that. Um, and But the left also, as I said, is not ready to let this go. Here's Al Sharpton calling for further investigations into the potentially racist garage door. We should take it as good news that someone didn't place it into his stall specifically as the only full-time black driver in NASCAR who pushed to have those Confederate flags removed from NASCAR events. And NASCAR did take that step last week. But it does appear there was a noose, as the FBI is calling it, placed in that garage last fall. The FBI identified it as a noose. NASCAR uh, said it was a noose or went along with the FBI's characterization. It was a noose. So the question is, even if they did not know that Bubba Wallace was going to use that stall, why was a noose in the stall? It's clear what a noose represents. And I think to, to go whether or not they knew that sooner or later the one black driver would use that stall really doesn't answer why it was in the stall at all. And then did someone know that it was in the stall when they did belatedly assign Bubba there? So I don't think this answers a lot of questions. And clearly from what we just saw of Bubba Wallace, it does not seem he, who is the victim and possible target in this matter, seems to be satisfied with this. So I do not think that we've seen closure in this particular uh, inquiry. Okay, there's a bunch of other stuff like that from the left and the media. Uh, You know, oh, it still might be a hate crime. Uh, Why was there a noose there in the first place? Even if it wasn't a hate crime, it still could have been. So we had a valuable conversation that we needed to have. We should thank Bubba for that. Bubba's innocent in this. He didn't know, you know, that it wasn't a, a hate crime. It was reasonable for him to interpret it the way that he did. And the excuses go on and on and on. So I want to make a few points about this. We're going to go through this one by one as we sort through it. Um, and as we continue to dissect and analyze a piece of rope in a garage, because this is, this is what we do now. And it's a, it's a worth, it's a, it's a good way to spend our time. So number one, it was not a noose. Okay. Um, that's, that's not what it is. A noose is a certain type of knot. And the whole point of it is that if you put weight on it, it tightens. That's why it's also called a hangman's knot. And yes, 
They use it to hang people. They also use it for many non-lethal applications. So a noose, and and that's the other part of this. It's sort of a a side note, but this idea that that a a, a quote-unquote noose is some sort of universal sign of of racism, since when did that become the case? These these types of knots, slip knots, are very useful. People use them for practical reasons all the time. When I see a knot like that, I don't immediately think, oh, someone's going to die. That's not what I think. Um, but this was, uh, this was more of just a standard loop knot. It was not a slip knot. And we know that because you aren't going to make a slip knot to close a garage door. The knot, the knot would tighten around your, your hand. You're not going to make a, a, a noose to close a garage door. You, you put weight on it. Think about it, you got a heavy garage door to a NASCAR garage, and you grab a noose around your hand and you yank down? That's a good way to break your hand. That's not, if the thing was hanging there for a year, then it was not a noose. No way was it a noose. People do not make nooses to close garages with. They don't use them as handles. Part of the problem here, maybe an underrated aspect of this story, is that the left is comprised of a bunch of wusses you know, a bunch of a bunch of wusses and shut-ins who have no practical knowledge at all and never go outside. They don't know how to identify basic knots when they see them. You know, Sharpton says, well, "Why was it in the garage at all?" Well, that's not a mystery. It was it was there to hold on to as you close the door. Yes, in many garages, the pull-down will have a handle or a little lever or something to grab. But you see, Al, sometimes men. Uh, rather than, sometimes they'll just tie a knot or do something like that to solve a problem. Rather than going out to Lowe's and buying a specific garage door closer, they might say, hey, let me just tie a knot. That's what a man's going to do. This is what men do. We tie knots. We also use duct tape. Okay, so many times we say, I don't need, I I fixed a a hole in my kayak the other day with duct tape. Okay, good as new, at least for now until I drown in the lake. Uh, This is what we do. We tie knots. We use duct tape. You, I mean, I, you don't know much about that, apparently, about just being a normal guy. I think, you know, people need to just, like, go ca- do some camping, do some fishing, learn about basic knots. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a knot expert myself, by the way, mostly because most of the knot tying I do is fishing, and the Palomar knot is really going to, it's basically indestructible. It's almost the only knot. You need a couple other knots, uh, like the Arbor knot, which is when you tie the line around the reel. But the Palomar knot, when it comes to tying a hook, I, you know, I've been using that. I haven't had a broken, I haven't lost a, 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 a fish to a broken knot in years. I've lost it to broken line, you know, or because the fish jumps up because you don't keep the, the rod tip down when you're reeling it in. But um, anyway... What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Um, Bubba Wallace. Okay. So that's that, that's that. Number two. An attempt is being made to absolve Bubba Wallace of all guilt in this case. And we're being told that this is not a Jussie Smollett situation. Uh, it's, it's really not similar at all. It's a completely different type of thing. And besides, Wallace isn't the one who called the feds. He didn't report it. He didn't see it. That's what we're told. Well, let me say... If you fell for the original story, and now you're falling for the story that Bubba didn't know and was innocent, then congratulations, you got fooled by the hoax and are now being fooled by the hoax that covers the other hoax you got fooled by. You damned moron. Listen, let let me explain this. 
Do you know how I, I, I knew this was, this, this was probably not a hate crime? Anyone, anyone who knew it, how, how did we know that it wasn't a hate crime? Do you know what, what magical sorcery we used to see the future and predict this outcome? Well, I'll tell you, okay? Here's the sorcery. It's called common sense. That's all it takes, common sense. Common sense told us that there probably wasn't a hate crime noose hanging in a NASCAR garage with security and cameras and stuff like that all around. We just, we knew it immediately. That's probably not the case. There's probably another explanation. Common sense also tells us, and you should listen to our common sense because, you know, you apparently have none, so you can borrow ours for a minute. Common sense also tells us that even if the initial person who saw the quote-unquote noose really did misinterpret it, which is I, I, possible, maybe they did, it would not have taken very long for everyone else down the line to figure out the truth. So when someone comes to you and tells you there's a noose in your garage and it's a hate crime, your next immediate response is not going to be, wow, okay, let's alert the press. No, no, that's, see, that's, again, that's just common sense. Yes, I was not there. I can't prove this. But common sense tells me that is not how human interactions work. No, your response is going to be something like, what? Are you serious? Let me see. Let me, let me go see it for myself. And then you go and you look or you look at a photo and you would then see that it's a rope hanging from a garage. And you would at a minimum realize that it's at least possible that this is a totally innocent thing. So again, the only innocently duped person was maybe possibly the first person who saw the thing. Everyone else, from Wallace to the NASCAR president, everyone else, they at a minimum would have known that there's a good chance it's not a hate crime. They would have known that because they would have looked at it and seen that it's a loop knot hanging from a garage door opener. And assuming that these are not actual certifiable clinical lunatics we're dealing with, they, they, at least somewhere in their in their head, in a probably pretty prominent place, would have been the thought of, you know, this could really just be nothing. And yet, they all came out, Wallace included, stated as fact that it's a hate crime. An act of hate, despicable, was the word that Wallace used. In a ser very self-aggrandizing way, talking about how he's, he's going to stand up, he's not going to be intimidated. I will not be... I will not be intimidated. I will not be cowed down under the, under the weight of this garage door. No, it, it, see, that's, that's what he did. He didn't say, hmm, you know, guys, this is a little bit concerning, but let's check it out and see what's going on. Uh, it, it might be fine. That would have been a good response. That would have been a response that an innocent and, and, and intelligent and honest person would have given. An even better response would have been, Hey guys, calm down. Like it's it's just it's a garage door opener. I'm sure that's all this is, okay? He cho he chose neither of those responses. Instead, he went all in on the hate crime, despite at least knowing that there's a likely innocent explanation. So, did he perpetrate a hoax? Yes, absolutely. 100%. 100%. This is a hoax and and yes, he was he was the ring one of the ringleaders of it. Um, maybe not one that he planned or staged, maybe not one that he paid two Nigerian dudes to carry out, but it's a hoax all the same. Also keep in mind that Wallace went on The View after he'd been interviewed by the FBI. He said in the interview that he, you know, that he, that he talked to the FBI. 
The FBI at that point would have already looked at the tapes and known that it wasn't a hate crime. They would have figured that out in 15 seconds. As soon as they, now, if they've got any common sense at all, they would have known it as soon as they looked at the rope. But, but if not then, then as soon as they looked at the security camera footage and saw that, okay, that thing's been there for months, over a year, they would have known. So by the time they talked to Wallace, they knew that this was not a hate crime. And that fact would have come up in the, quote, interview. In fact, I doubt that it was really an interview at all. It was more of a meeting of the FBI saying, hey, listen, this wasn't a hate crime. I'm, I would say 90% certainty that that's what the interview was. Because there'd be nothing for them to interview Wallace about at that point. Um, yet he still went on the, on the view and perpetuated the uh, hate crime hoax. And even shamed and insulted the people who he knew were right that it wasn't a hate crime. So this guy, this guy's a liar and uh, a fraud. And uh, the fact that how how gullible and stupid do you have to be that you fell for it the first time, falling for it again? Good God. I really think there are a lot of people in this country that just love being fooled. They, 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 they love making asses of themselves. They enjoy it. Number three, here's the most important thing to focus on. I want to read the FBI statement to you uh, because there's one thing in this statement that really jumps out. Let me pull it up. Okay, FBI statement says, On Monday, 15 FBI special agents conducted numerous interviews regarding the situation at Talladega Super Speedway. After a thorough review of the facts and evidence surrounding the event, we have concluded that no federal hate crime was committed. Um, and then it goes on from there. I, I don't even need to go any further. What I'm really homing in on here is 15 FBI agents investigated a rope in a garage. 15 FBI, and they're proud of it. They're telling us. Uh, we were on the case. Fifteen. Spe- what are these? What are they doing? I, I know what one guy is gonna. One guy looks at the rope and probably at that point says, "Hey guys, just a, it's just a loop knot. You close the garage with it. Look, see here. Look, that's all you do." So one guy is doing that. Maybe another guy goes and then and then and then another guy is told, "Hey, go check the security camera. Let's be sure about this." Okay, that's two guys at most. What are the other thirteen guys doing? What are they? T- what exactly are they doing? Are they dusting for fingerprints? Are they, what is they doing, doing a forensics investigation? Good Lord. Now, what makes this even more, uh, it, it goes from being absurd and almost funny to actually infuriating when you realize that the federal government sent 15 agents to look at a freaking rope in a garage while there are violent mobs tearing our cities apart as we speak, tearing down monuments and statues, burning buildings. It's still going on, attacking police officers. And there's a lot that the federal government could and should be doing about this. There are a lot of questions that they could be investigating. There are a lot of arrests they could be making and, and, and things they could be investigating, like what are the groups backing these these violent quote unquote protesters? You know who's funding BLM? Who's funding Antifa? 
They could be investigating that kind of stuff. You can put 15 special agents on that. Put, put, put 50, put 100. The full force of the federal government and, our, and the federal government's law enforcement arm should be focused on this, that we have violent insurrectionists right now trying to tear the country apart. And they're all over the place. And you send 15 agents for a rope. My God. Uh, and, and that is the headline. That's the real headline of all of this, is the, the federal government's involvement. Even if, I mean, even if it was a noose, okay? Even if, even if some jerk had put a noose there as a hate crime, even then, what the hell do you need 15 agents for? Why do you need any federal agents for that? If you're going to involve law enforcement all in a situation like that, then you know I'm sure a local cop could, could handle it. A local cop can go and look at the security camera and see who did it and find that guy. So even if this was a verified hate crime, it would still be insane to send 15 federal agents for it. But it's not. All right. Let's move on to headlines. Number one, Lincoln County in Oregon has issued a new order requiring that everyone wear masks in public. But the order exempts, quote, people of color. So if you're a black person, you don't have to wear a mask. If you're white, you do. The reason given is that black people might be concerned about racial profiling. Here's the, the reading out from the Daily Wire. It says the Post cites ACLU racial justice program director Renika Moore, who said, uh, who told CNN, for many black people, deciding whether or not to wear a bandana in public to protect themselves and others from contracting coronavirus is a lose-lose situation that can result in life-threatening consequences either way. CNN quoted Trevin Logan, who is black, also uh, as saying a mandate to wear face coverings are basically telling black people to look dangerous given racial stereotypes that are out there. This is in the large context of black men fitting the description of a suspect who has a hood on, who has a face covering on. Okay, so first of all, has there been, have there been any cases of a black person who's wearing a face covering for coronavirus, you know, getting assaulted or shot or arrested erroneously? Has that happened at all? Is there one case of it? One single case? Well, the ACLU is, is certain that this is a big problem. They're certain it's a big problem. It, it, okay, it's a pr- is it, if it's a problem, then it should be happening. Is it happening? If it's not happening, then it's not a problem. There's some more basic common sense for you. If a thing is not happening, then it's not a problem because it's not happening. But the other issue here is that there's no way this is constitutional. There is no way that a law specifically exempting a certain race is constitutional, which isn't to say that it will be that it's going to be struck down by by the courts. I'm I'm not predicting that at all. Just because the law is unconstitutional doesn't mean the the court's going to strike it down. And just because a uh, uh, you know, just because a law is constitutional doesn't mean that the court won't strike it down. We know that that's how it works. The, the court's full of far-left activists, as we know. But in reality, the Constitution does not allow this. This is not equality under the law. You can't make an ordinance and say, if, you're, if you have a certain skin pigmentation, you don't have to follow it. Number two, and uh, in statue-toppling news, protesters, quote-unquote, in Wisconsin, tore down uh, the Lady Forward statue. Here's a picture of that. And then they defaced and tore down the Hans Christian Haig monument in Wisconsin. This was all in one night. Uh, 
Lady Forward is a monument to social progress. Haig was an abolitionist and a Union soldier, who I, I believe died in the Civil War. I'm pretty sure about that. Uh, this was someone who just dedicated his whole life to abolishing slavery. That was his, he was an anti-slavery activist and put his money where his mouth is on it. So, and yet they tore his statue down. And they tore down a statue to progress, which I, I think is, is very appropriate, in fact, because, yes, these are enemies of progress. But you wouldn't think that they would see themselves that way. So why did these statues have to come down? Why? Well, because the statues depicted white people. That's it. That, that's really all there is to it now. If it's a statue of a white person, it has to come down. That's the only litmus test. This is, this is racism. And if it was a crowd, if it was a white crowd, let's say a crowd of, of violent uh, white supremacists who were tearing down statues of black people for no discernible reason other than their race, we'd call it a hate crime. Uh, on top of, not only would they be arrested for destruction of property, they would also be arrested for committing a hate crime. Yet in this case, you've got violent left-wing mobs going around tearing down statues. For no, I mean, the reason doesn't even matter. I don't care what your reason is. But it's worth noting that at this point, their only reason is that's a statue of a white person. That can be the only that could be the only coherent, uh, vaguely coherent reason to tear down a statue of an abolitionist or a statue of progress is that it's depicting a white person. So this is a racist campaign to take down monuments to white Americans, which isn't to say that these are monuments to white America. They are. No, these are monuments to individual Americans who happen to be white and also happen to do incredible and great things. But they have to come down. So this is racism. The only other thing it could be, and I think also is, it's kind of a combination of these things, is destruction for destruction's sake. Nihilism, sociopathy. All of this is mixed into it. I think there are people involved who just want to tear down a statue because it's fun. There's a lot of that. There are people involved who, who just don't care about anything. Um, sociopaths, nihilists. Uh, there are people involved who have a, a, a beef with Western civilization in general. And then there are people involved who just want to tear down statues of white people. All of that is mixed in. So nihilism, sociopathy, uh, psychopathy, racism, all of that. Bigotry. Number three, here's somebody at a Trump event talking about the American dream. Aunt Jemima was canceled. And, and if you didn't know, Nancy Green, the original first Aunt Jemima, she was a picture of the American dream. She was a freed slave who went on to be the face of the pancake syrup that we love and, and have in our pantries today. The American dream is to be the face of pancake syrup. That, that could be someone's dream. Uh, people are making fun of this uh, this girl for for saying that, but I, you know, could be someone's dream. Personally, I'd like to be the face of Dijon mustard. I don't so much, you know, syrup. Not really, not really my thing. But uh, if I was gonna be the face of any kind of condiment, I'd love to be the face of Dijon mustard. That's that's my great dream and goal uh, in life. It's the only thing I want to achieve. But we all have our own dreams, of course. Number four, as if we didn't have enough problems on our hands. Already, uh, now a massive cloud of dust is floating our way from the Sahara Desert. CBS News reports 
A massive plume of dust from the Sahara Desert in North Africa has been traversing the atmosphere thousands of feet above the tropical Atlantic, o- Atlantic Ocean and is now cloaking the Caribbean and closing in on the southeastern U.S. Um, while summer dust plumes are common occurrence, this appears to be one of the most extreme in recent memory. Pablo Mendez Lazora from the University of Puerto Rico's School of Public Health said this is the most significant event in the past 50 years. Conditions are dangerous in many Caribbean islands. Wait, wait a second. What? The most significant event in 50 years? The dust? The dust is the most significant event in 50 years? Maybe he means this is the most significant dust-related event. Uh, and, And that I could see. Though personally, I think the great dust storm of 87 or maybe the dust cloud of 72 could perhaps rival this, but this is a, a debate that never ends among dust enthusiasts, um, the dust enthusiast community. So that's uh, that's interesting anyway. But look out for the dust on on uh, on its way over here. Five. Finally, sports writer, genius, and scholar Rob Parker has written an article for Deadspin that I'm pretty sure is not a parody. You can never be entirely sure these days. But uh, he, here's here's. Here's the article. He says that the name of the masters must now be changed. And here's how he argues the point. He says, the name the masters must go. The heralded, the heralded golf tournament, one of the four majors, needs to go back to its original name, the Augusta National Invitation. It became the masters in 1939. Tiger Woods, other big-time golfers and corporate sponsorships should demand it. In the current climate, with all the sweeping changes, it's only right and just. Best of all, in this case, it's a simple and smooth fix. The master has never felt good or even sounded good when you said it. And before we hear from the choir about tradition and history, save it. When that history and tradition is rooted in slavery, it shouldn't be preserved and honored. Augusta National was built on grounds that were once a slave plantation and was the property of a slave owner. So then why do you want to call it the Augusta National Invitation? You're saying it, you want to name it after property that was, that was, was owned by a slave owner? I don't, I don't understand how that's an improvement. And according to a 2019 New Yorker piece about the course, it's believed that enslaved blacks were housed on the property. And be honest, when you hear anyone say the masters, you think of slave masters in the South. There's nothing else, nothing special. You don't think of someone mastering the game of golf. What has anyone mastered? When has anyone mastered golf? I I, I can't even, I can't continue. I'm losing brain cells. Brain cells are leaking out of my ear as I, as I speak right now. I can feel them dropping out like dandruff, just falling, falling onto my shoulders. I mean, this is, when, when you hear the masters, you don't think of someone mastering the game of golf. That's exactly what I think. That's what any normal person thinks. When have you heard of someone mastering golf? I, I don't know. I mean, everybody at the masters has mastered it pretty much. They're professional golfers. Yes, be honest. Be honest. When you hear of the Masters Golf Tournament, your mind immediately conjures images of slave masters golfing. Admit it. Be honest. Oh, wait, you don't think of that? Okay, that was just my own psychosis talking. Okay, then. No, but Rob really makes a good point, I think. Because I also think uh, the name of uh, the show Master Chef should be changed. Because when I hear Master Chef, I think of slave owners baking cakes. Uh, The rapper Master P. Has to change his name, obviously. Masterpiece Theater. Can't have that. Because that brings to mind a piece of a slave master. Just a piece of him. Like like an arm or something lying there. A masterpiece. 
So maybe that's okay, actually, because that, that brings to mind dismembered slave owners. Maybe that's okay. I don't know. I don't know what the new rules are. But there's Rob Parker with a, a great take, as always. We're going to move on to our daily cancellation. Before we do, we've been telling you about this Reader's Pass. If you're not already a Daily Wire member, you should consider getting a Reader's Pass to dailywire.com. It's a great value, only $3 a month. And when you sign up, you get the first month for only $0.99. Cents. Uh, you also get access to our mobile app, articles ad-free, access to exclusive editorials that we're all writing, uh, like uh, you know a recent editorial I wrote about the white privilege myth, which I would really recommend uh, getting a great reaction to that. Well, I don't know if I call it great reaction. Great as in... The, the, the passion behind the reaction and the, the amount of reaction, but much of it is not positive. But anyway, you can, want, you can read that and so many other great editorials. If you haven't checked out the Reader's Pass already, go to dailywire.com, sign up for just a buck. Now, daily cancellation. Today, we're going to be canceling the claim that America is a racist country. And in canceling it, I'd like to echo the point made by many others that you know if America was truly a racist country, if racism was rampant in our country, as it is claimed, then there wouldn't be any need or desire, you know, to invent hate crimes. The existence of guys like Jesse Smollett and Bubba Wallace um, and the prevalence of these hoaxes and the, the fact that the intelligent among us knew the, the news story was a hoax just because they are so often hoaxes, this all amounts to very strong circumstantial evidence against the systemic racism theory. This does not in itself by itself disprove systemic racism. I think there's other things you can look at that uh, make that, that essentially disprove it. But it's very good cir circumstantial evidence. Because this is not what you would expect. In it. Someone tells you about a systemically racist country, a, ra a country that is beset by racism, and you don't know anything about this country or this culture. The last thing you would expect is that the you know, the people who are allegedly victims of this, of this rampant systemic racism, you know, would be, would be inventing instances of it. So let's think about why this keeps happening. We all know that it does keep happening, but why does it keep happening? Why would someone do something like this? Why pretend that a hate crime has been committed against you? This happens so often, but we, we, we rarely stop to ask, why would someone do this? What's the point? Or why would you allow yourself to be deceived into thinking that it has happened? Why would a person be eager to interpret it this way? Well, it's because victimization is power in our culture. Victimization is trendy. Victimization means attention, admiration, money, sympathy, clout, political influence. But is that how it would be if America was systemically racist? Could a person expect to profit off of claims of racist victimization in a racist country? How so? How could they? How could you profit off of a claim like that? Benefit from it. Benefit from it so much that you would make it up or be eager to interpret an innocent act as a hate crime if the country is actually racist. Now, you notice something. Look back through history. Um, Look at all the examples, unfortunately, many examples of oppressed groups in various societies around the world, um, and including, in the, including in the history of this country. In the history of this country, there obviously have been systemically oppressed groups. But what you don't find in these examples, you don't often find these groups inventing additional oppression. Why not? Well, because there's nothing to be gained from it. They're oppressed. 
how much more oppression, how would more oppression help their cause? They're already oppressed. Also, they wouldn't need to invent it. Even if they wanted to, even if they thought that somehow a, you know, an instance of oppression would benefit them, they wouldn't need to invent it. And anyone in one of these oppressed groups anywhere, they wouldn't need to invent it because there would, there's an ample supply of it already on offer. There's a whole, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a buffet of oppression that's, that's, that's there at all times. They don't need to, they don't need to um, invent additional oppression. You think about, you know, an example would be Christian minorities in the Middle East who are oppressed and persecuted and killed. They're, they're not in making it up. They're not inventing additional instances of it. If, if they get executed, if they're at church and get rounded up and executed by Muslim militants, you know, that, that's all the oppression that is needed. They're, they're not going to go and, and come up with some other example. It wouldn't make any sense to do that. And thirdly, and this is important, truly oppressed groups have no appetite for fake martyrdom. Oppression and victimization isn't a game to them. It's real. The last thing they would want is to exaggerate or fabricate. There's no appetite for that. No, no desire for it. It's kind of like if, uh, you know, if someone who, who isn't actually sick but exaggerates their symptoms to get sympathy or maybe to get out of work or, you know, as I used to do uh, very often as a kid, to get out of school. Compare that to someone who's very sick, legitimately sick, Let's say so sick they're in the hospital, maybe even deathly sick. Maybe they're, they, you know, they've got terminal cancer or something, a very sick person. Now, that person isn't going to exaggerate symptoms. They're not going to make up symptoms they don't have because there's no need anyway. The symptoms are bad enough as it is. And also, they'd be in no mood for that. For them, sickness is not a game. It isn't play acting. It isn't a tool they're using. It's just, it's real. It's terrible. It's inescapable. And they just want to get better. They want to be free of the sickness. That's their desire. Oppressed people seek to be free of the oppression. They don't seek to extend it or add to it or, or uh, uh, you know, fabricate it or find more of it or create it. They want to be free. Bubba Wallace is not oppressed. He is not a victim. He is a rich man of power and privilege. He lives a luxurious and enviable life. He lives a better life than almost everyone else on earth. Okay, he is at the, he is, he is, in terms of everyone on earth, and everyone that's ever existed on earth, being a, you know, being a famous person, a, a, a rich uh, professional athlete, he's up close to the top. And all of that, I think, made him greedy. Uh, he wanted more, and he used fake victimization to get more because no real victimization was on offer for him. This, com- this country is not systemically racist against him, which is good news and something that he would celebrate and should celebrate if he weren't a fraud, which he is. And that's the other thing, the very revealing thing. When, I, when something is claimed to be a hate crime, and it turns out not to be one. Notice how the left and the race hustlers, and um, and you know hacks like uh, like Al Sharpton, notice they're upset, they're angry. Palpable disappointment is on their face, and in their words, they're desperate to preserve it as some kind of hate crime or sort of a hate crime, semi hate crime. What does that tell you? 
They should be relieved. They should be saying, thank God. And then they should also be embarrassed that they were fooled. Relief and embarrassment should be the two things. Um, but no. No, they, they're, they're, they're clinging on to it. They want it. The people on the left, they wanted, they, they wish it was a hate crime. They are disappointed that it isn't. And I think that right there tells you everything you need to know. And we'll leave it there today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Clavin, host of The Andrew Clavin Show. The left is making its move to censor conservatives before the election. It's worse than Russian interference because they hate America more than the Russians do. We'll talk about that. Plus, we have the Kung Flu mailbag spreading wisdom like the plague on The Andrew Clavin Show.